I was on this plane ride to Singapore to go speak at a conference. It was the middle of the night. I remember it so vividly. Everybody on the plane was asleep around me. And I was just wrestling with God. And I remember just feeling confused and lost. Here I am. I was like 46 years old. And you think you'd be really clear about what you're going to do with your life at that point. And I just remember crying out to God, like, what do you want me to do with my life in this season? And like a lot of my prayers, I didn't really expect much of an answer. But man, God met me so powerfully, so clearly in that moment and just said, I want you to help pastors and leaders be healthy, holy, and humble. And in that moment, I remember thinking I could give my life to that. And so that was sort of the the beginning seed of what eventually would become this ministry now that I do called Replenish. Welcome to the Lively Last Podcast. I'm James Duvall, and I'm here with my amazing and beautiful co-host, Lisa. Hey, everybody. I'm really excited about this episode. James, you had the opportunity to talk to Lance Witt. He has been so instrumental in our personal development and leadership development. Your conversation with him has such rich content. Yeah, it really is rich content. But before we jump into that conversation, I want to remind our listeners that they can be a part of our future podcast episodes. If you download the Anchor app or use the link in the show notes, you can send Lisa and I voice messages with your comments and questions. We can easily then pull those messages in the future podcast. So here's a message we received from one of our good friends, Brian Taylor. Hey, James and Lisa, Brian Taylor here giving you a shout out from North Dallas, Texas, Lauren and I wanted to congratulate you on the launch of your podcast. We are pumped for the world to get to experience the wisdom and the unique practical principles that you all teach. We know that you don't just teach them, you live them. And your leadership has had a huge impact on our lives. You've helped not just shape us into leaders that we are today, but into the people that we are today. And we could not be more excited for this opportunity to learn more from you. And so we're cheering you on. We've got our notebooks open and ready to lean in. And we love y'all so much. Thank you, Brian. We really appreciate you and Lauren and your support. Here's a way that you can get involved this week. We would love for you to send us a message and tell us the way that you personally best recharge. We have a couple episodes coming up where we would love to share some of your best practices. James, I'm so ready to jump into today's interview. Let me give some background to our listeners about Lance Whip. Lance is the founder of Replenish Ministries. Along with speaking and consulting, Lance does life plans, individual life coaching, staff development, and he's also authored two books, Replenish and High Impact Teams. Lance served 20 years as a senior pastor before serving seven years as an executive teaching pastor at Saddleback Church in Southern California. While at Saddleback, Lance led multiple spiritual growth campaigns, such as 40 Days of Purpose and 40 Days of Community. Lance has been married to his wife, Connie, such a spicy girl, love her, for 40 years, and they have two married children and four beautiful granddaughters. Lance Witt, it is so good to have you on the Lively Last Podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Oh man, it is so good to be with you, and I am honored to be a guest on the podcast. Well, I'm just thrilled. You know, you've 
been such a big part of Lisa and I's life. We've had the privilege of knowing you for, I guess, about the last eight or nine years. You've just been so instrumental in our journeys, our personal journeys of self-awareness and growth. You know, one of the things I really love about you, Lance, is anytime that I'm in the conversation with you, you're very intentional about being present with people. And I've always admired that about you. So I'm interested, is that something that you've always been good at? Is that just a natural ability for you? Is that something you had to work on? (laughs) Well, I chuckle at that question because I'm in my mind, I'm going back over some of the staff that have worked on my teams in the past. And I have a feeling they would also laugh at that question and tell you (laughs) it is definitely not something I've always been good at. It's something that I think in recent years, as I've begun to kind of focus on kind of the health of my own soul, it's become a much more intentional practice in my life. So uh, yeah, it's not always been there. I think part of that too is as we get older, you realize you can slow down a little bit and there's some things matter more than others in relationships do. So I want to give our listeners a little bit of background on your journey in case they don't know. So you were a pastor for many years. How many, how many years were you a vocational uh, pastor? A local church? church pastor for a little over 25 years. And I would say that your last pastoral position was kind of a pinnacle role for us who have ministry experience. You were on staff at Saddleback Church as the executive pastor and teaching pastor. And you were actually there when the senior pastor, Rick Warren, wrote that small book, The Purpose Driven Life. And uh, actually, when it became a New York Times bestseller, you were on staff there. And so I could imagine that when your boss writes a book that sells over 50 million copies and has been translated in 85 languages, it can be quite a ride. So can you tell me just a little bit about that experience of what that was like being on staff at that time? Yeah, I mean, it was an incredible rocket ride. And nobody, including Rick, could have ever anticipated how the book was going to change everything, how many copies it would sell, how he would become really overnight sort of a global celebrity. And everybody wanted a piece of him. And so he was trying to figure out how to be pastor to our local church while pastoring the world. And of course, you know, that's an undoable task for pretty much anybody. So it was an amazing experience to be there during those years. But a big part of my story is that it wasn't all good. Some of it was unhealthy and there were both internal and external issues that were at play there. Some stuff in the, you know, in the system and in the culture there that got dysfunctional and toxic, but also a lot of places in me where I wasn't leading myself well. And it was just the convergence of a really good season and a really bad season. Sometimes I say to people, it was both the most intoxicating season of my life and toxic all at the same time. So in 2006, you actually made the decision to step down from your role at Saddleback. And that was really a pivotal moment in your life that helped change the course for your life. So can you share what led up to that decision and what was the immediate impact on your personal journey? Well, one, it was maybe the toughest decision I've ever made in my life because it really was sort of a dream job. And I could have imagined myself being there throughout my entire ministry career. So coming to this moment of feeling like I might need to step down was agonizing. And Rick and I had four pretty lengthy conversations over the period of about six months, one that included our wives. And um, I just began to feel like I could not 
continue to be healthy or could not get healthy if I continued in my role there. And there were some things that I was struggling with in the culture. And so after a period of about six months, I remember having this moment where we were at a leadership retreat and all the reasons I had given Rick for why I thought I couldn't stay, I kind of saw them lived out or fleshed out in front of me in this particular meeting. And I just had this moment of just release where I knew that it was over. It was not a matter of if, it was just a matter of when and how we were going to leave. That began this, you know, really significant transition in my life because when I left, I didn't have another place to go. When you stepped off Salabac, you thought about going back in the pastoral ministry, you maybe looked at become a senior pastor, but it, nothing really settled, right? And you share on your blog this really interesting experience that happened in the middle of an airplane ride at night flying over the Pacific Ocean that really turned everything for you. Can you share what happened and what that was all about? Yeah, and I, I think to go back just a little bit, I think for all of us in moments of crisis, we tend to naturally migrate back toward what is natural for us. And what was natural for me was being a senior pastor. And it was actually my wife, Connie, who challenged me and said, hey, I think in this next season, you ought to be open that God may want to do something different. And so that sort of put something in my mind, I think, to just kind of be open to the Lord. And so I was on this plane ride to Singapore to go speak at a conference. It was the middle of the night. I remember it so vividly. Everybody on the plane was asleep around me. And I was just wrestling with God. And I remember just feeling confused and lost. Here I am. I was like 46 years old. And you think you'd be really clear about what you're going to do with your life at that point. And I just remember crying out to God, like, what do you want me to do with my life in this season? And like a lot of my prayers, I didn't really expect much of an answer. But man, God met me so powerfully, so clearly in that moment and just said, I want you to help pastors and leaders be healthy, holy, and humble. And in that moment, I remember thinking I could give my life to that. And so that was sort of the, the beginning seed of what eventually would become this ministry now that I do called Replenish. So how long was it after that that you actually launched Replenish? It probably was three months or so before we kind of officially launched. But the truth is, James, I didn't know what I was doing. I had been a local church pastor. I didn't know how to be a consultant or run my own business. Mark, I didn't know any of that. And so fortunately, God gave me such a clear call that night on the plane to Singapore, because sometimes that was all I had to hold on to. I had no idea what I was doing. So even though we officially launched, it was launching with, you know, not much to draw on in those days. And so I, I feel like it took three to four years to really build out what Replenish was going to be. So for our listeners, can you just share a little bit about the mission and what you do through Replenish? Yeah, kind of the mantra I use for our ministry is to help people live and lead from a healthy soul. And I think the order of that is really important because I think for a lot of us who are leaders, all of our focus becomes about our leadership and we don't really pay attention to our own lives, our own sanctification, what God wants to do in us before he wants to do yeah. you know, through us. It really is trying to come alongside leaders and be be a friend and an advocate and a coach and a life planner to help them live the life they want to live. And then out of the fullness of that, then do great ministry. That's amazing. So in 2011, you released your first book, right? Mm -hmm, that's correct. That was entitled Replenish. Yep. So was there something going on that you saw in other people that really challenged you or made you want to write that book? You hadn't been an author up to that point, right? No, I had not been. And 
I think really the book was written out of my own pain and out of my own journey of being a guy like a lot of leaders who just focused on his external life, was consumed with trying to be a success and achieve and do something significant for God, but completely neglecting sort of the soul side of my life. So replenish was really my own struggle to bring my soul back to life and do ministry from a healthy place. And again, if you read the book, there's not a lot of how to. It's really, I think, in many ways, early on, my questions and early wrestlings and some convictions that I had but didn't have years of practical experience living it out. And I feel like since then, now in the last decade, I've learned a lot more about how all of that looks in my life. But in those days, man, I had a lot more questions than I had answers. That's really become kind of your workbook of how you've lived out your life. And I love that it's not just something that you teach, but something that you live out, you make it personal. I read this quote from you said, one of the healthiest days in my life was when I began to own my spiritual health. I am not a victim. My dysfunctional people pleasing and driven nature were not the result of external pressure. They were a result of internal brokenness. The day I was honest with myself and took full responsibility was the day I started to be free. And I backed it up with another quote. I hear you say a lot when you teach from Dr. Henry Cloud. He says that you are ridiculously in control of your life. So what are some things that you did to become intentional about living your best life, this freedom that you had when you took control of your life? Yeah. And I think some part of it in, you know, dovetails with what you just talked about. I think it it really is putting a stake in the ground and not being a victim and not putting the blame or deflecting to my spouse or my elders or, you know, my staff. You know, Jesus offers us this amazing abundant life. And in Deuteronomy 30, there's this great passage where God invites Israel into this life of blessing and back into this life of joy and abundance. And in verse 11, he says, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you and it's not beyond you. And I love that because it really says the Christian life, this amazing life that God has for all of us, no matter where you are or what role of leadership you have, that it really is accessible to me. I love Second Peter says, everything I need for life and godliness, I already have. So it's not that I lack the resource. So I think for a lot of us, honestly, that's the first issue is putting the stake in the ground. And then I think I had to learn that I had a soul that needed to be paid attention to. Like I would have known theologically I had a soul and that Jesus died for my soul and someday my soul was going to go to heaven. But beyond that, it had no practical ramifications for my everyday life. And so I began to, I think, really become a student of my own soul and how am I wired and how did my family of origin play into who I am today? And what are some of the internal scripts that have plagued me my whole life. And you mentioned a couple of them, like out of control, ambition, approval, addiction. I've always been compulsively busy. And so I had to learn how to live within my limits and begin to establish a rhythm for my life that actually practiced rest and reflection and solitude. And so I began to do, I think, some of the basic things. I began to go back and read the Bible more relationally rather than just informationally. Like, to connect to God and to try to have a spiritual life that was vibrant and not one that was just mechanical and mundane and stale. And so some of those practices began to reshape sort of the health of my own soul. So good. I really believe that when you released Replenish and I read it for the first time and heard you teach a few times on it, it was the first time that I was challenged as a leader 
to really take inventory of my soul. You know, growing up as a Christian, you hear the word soul, but it's not something that people really focus on too much. You really focus a lot on this idea of soul health. Can you share more specifically what are some practices that that you do or that you recommend for a person who's trying to take care of their soul to develop the health of their soul? Yeah, I I would say first off, I think it's important to go back and realize that part of your discipleship is not just changing your behavior. I would describe my church's attempt to disciple me as mostly behavior modification. Mm. And that's important. There's things in my external world that need to change, but also there are some things internally that God wants to transform. And until I become self-aware about those things, that have governed my life. And I think one of the best places to go is your family of origin and begin to discover what are some things you picked up early on that have really shaped you. And and I now have been able to articulate clearly the number one script in my life I really got from my dad, who's a great man of God. But the script I got from him was work hard, be responsible, achieve. And that's how you succeed. And that's how you get love. Well, when that's the internal script you play 24-7, that informs kind of how you approach everything. And you're only as valuable as your latest achievement. So it keeps you driven and compulsive in how you act. And so I think going back and learning to identify some of those things is really an important step to help. The the second thing I think is just learn to embrace your limits. Like you have limited time, energy, resources, capacity, and to realize that those limits are from God and that they are actually a gift. Yeah. And part of those limits, I think, is beginning to implement the practice of Sabbath and a healthy rhythm, taking control of your schedule. When I began to work on this whole issue of being a people pleaser, I had to learn to take control of my calendar and learn this simple two-letter word, the word no. Mm-hmm. And that it's okay to not always be accessible or available to everybody. And so these are things, James, in my life, that it's taking years and I'm still not there, but over time, you know, little by little, incrementally, there's progress and sanctification is not only just happening externally, but also internal. You know, Sabbath is a word that, you know, you hear in the church and it's talked about, but for me growing up, it was just a day, you know, the Sabbath, but seems like there's a growing trend towards this need to disconnect, this need to stop couple of great books, John Mark Comer's book, yeah. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. That's a fabulous book. Even Cal Newport's recent book, Digital Minimalism, deals with this whole idea of solitude and this idea of stopping and disconnecting. So Sabbath comes up maybe out of a, a religious Judeo-Christian tradition, but there's really this sense in all of us that God's created that we need to stop and to rest and to remember. I'd be interested just if you would just share a few minutes on your understanding of Sabbath Mm -hmm. for those who may have kind of a Judeo-Christian background like us or those who don't and some ways that maybe you have applied it to your life. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with going to church all the time and I knew Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments, but I just assumed it was one of those Old Testament things we just didn't do anymore. Yeah, And yet we haven't thrown away the other nine, so I'm not sure Mm -hmm. why we would discard this one. And it's the longest commandment commandment is the one with the most explanation. It's the first thing in the Bible that's ever called holy. It wasn't a person or a place. It was a period of time, this thing called Sabbath. And from the very beginning, God established this rhythm that's a biblical rhythm that is for all of creation. In fact, in Leviticus, God would even say, every seven years, I want you to give the physical dirt 
a Sabbath, a break, because nothing was made to give out all of the time. And the biblical rhythm, and by the way, I love the word rhythm. I hate the word balance. Yeah. Because rhythm, I think, is allows for chaos and unexpected things to come up in stressful situations. But I'm choosing a life that is a rhythm of I work really hard and God does value work and he values us being productive, but then I also unplug really hard. And I think that's the biblical rhythm. So it's work, rest, produce, and restore. And God has given us a very practical strategy in Sabbath that allows us to live a life that is replenishing. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of leaders, a lot of Christian leaders are walking around on empty and their batteries drained and they're running on fumes and they're stressed out and exhausted. And no wonder ministry in life isn't any fun these days. And I just want to say to you, God has a different plan. But I really believe that one of the things I teach in Replenish, James, is that you've got to get to a place where you have a biblical and theological conviction about this. Mm. Because if you don't settle this for yourself, that this really is God's best and it's something that he really commands, then the gravitational pull of busyness in our culture and the constant connection to our smartphones is always going to win the day. And so you've got to settle this in your heart and your spirit. Like, hey, this is, I have conviction, biblical conviction about this. And then get busy figuring out how you, with your wiring in your season of life, can begin to put it into practice. Now, it wasn't for me at first a very life-giving thing. When you are constantly in a hurry and you're a workaholic and you don't know how to sit still, the idea of a Sabbath is excruciating. (laughs) But over time, it has become this life-giving, joyful reward to the end of a very busy, draining week. It's something too, for me, I'm still trying to learn and grow and develop. You and I share a lot of books back and forth that we're reading. And just recently, I was reading the, finished reading the book called Subversive Sabbath. There's some great just insights in there about how Sabbath actually affects everything around us. It affects the ecology. It affects the economy. This idea that when we have this 24-7 society that's going on, it affects people that aren't able to have Sabbath because they're working the 24-7. So there's, there's so many layers of it that, especially as people of faith. It's more than just our relationship with with God. It's also our relationship with creation and everything he's made, the people he's made and how we live in community. And it really does remind me that God's way really is best. There's a reason for it. And it's the way he made us. And it's, you know, even if you go back to the creation story, when God says worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested, it wasn't because he was exhausted. Obviously it was because he was modeling something for us and what he was modeling, this rhythm that he wants us to enjoy. And it's in typical Western fashion, we work ourselves to death to try to get to a two-week vacation. And of course, then we come back and often we're exhausted, you know, when we come back. And I just think God would say to us, you know what, I have a better way. And it's a weekly rhythm, a one in seven kind of rhythm where you take a day every seven days to, you know, the template I use is to um, prepare because it takes some work to get ready not to work. That's what the word Sabbath literally means is just to quit or stop. Rest, both physical, emotional, spiritual rest. Delight, do things that fill your soul. And then the last one is worship. And it ought to be a day that's more connecting to God where we're not in a hurry, where we spend time in his word, where we take quiet, reflective, grateful walk just to be in his presence. And if I could just say this, James, if you're kind of new to this, two things I'd encourage you to do. Number one is call it Sabbath. 
Don't call it day off. That's good. Because for most of us, our day off is just work of a different kind, right? That's it's true. just catching up on all the chores we didn't get done during the week. So call it Sabbath. And then secondly, get it on your calendar. Your calendar is where your values and your priorities converge. Yep. If you were to go and look at my calendar for the next year out, you'd see Sabbath every single week. Now, I don't always get to do it the same day because of my travel, yep. but um, but it's on my calendar and it's there as a priority. So again, if it's going to be important to you, it's got to get on your calendar. And so those are a couple of simple ways for you to get started making it a priority. That's so good. I always say if it doesn't make it in your calendar, it won't make it into your life. Yeah. So if it's really important, you need to make sure that you're making time for it. That's good. And this is so good, Lance. I want to turn the corner a bit because one of the things that this podcast is about is helping people live intentionally to leverage the influence that they have in leadership and then to do things in their life that are going to give them longevity. Really, ideally, that when we're gone, that we're leaving a legacy that's lasting beyond us. So you're seasoned. You've, you've seen a lot of life. You're married, grandkids. You're successful in, in marriage as a, as a leader. If you could go back and talk to your younger self, uh, maybe somebody who's in their 20s, early 30s, and you could give them a couple of things that would help them live their life to the fullest, what would those things be? First off, I want to thank you for calling me seasoned instead of old. <laughs> yeah, I've thought about that question. I think when you get to be my age, you do reflect on those kinds of things. One thing I would tell myself is, Lance, don't stress so much about all the stuff and the problems all going to be there tomorrow. The people who are going to be with you for the rest of your years are your family. So make sure that you are present with your wife. Be sure that you make time to just be with your kids and create memories and, you know, pass on values to your kids that they're not going to get from anybody else but you. And I think I was such a workaholic, so consumed with being a pastor. And again, how, if you're a family, how do you with that. And so I just think I would say, just slow down, relax. You, you don't need to be so compulsively busy all the time. And then I would say, beware of out of control ambition. I think ambition when it's controlled by the Holy Spirit and really is for God's glory is a noble thing. But I think for a lot of us as leaders, underneath all of our God talk, holy language we wrap our ambition with, there really is this need to succeed, need to be known, need to be better than other people. You know, I always think of James 3 when when James said, wherever there is envy and selfish ambition, just mark it down. There will be disorder in every kind of evil. Like it's a universal axiom. When our ambition gets hijacked by our ego and we begin to make it about us and our need to be known and we posture and position, it just leads to some very unhealthy things. And I think like a lot of young leaders, my ambition was out of control and it wasn't anchored in a healthy soul. And so if I could go back to my 25-year-old self, I would say, Lance, get in touch with your soul, become more self-aware, learn true humility, and don't mm. make it about you. That's really good. So anyway, those are a couple of things I would say. That's great. So you wrote the book, Replenish. You also wrote a second book on high-impact teams. Mm -hmm. Great book for teams to actually work through. You actually incorporate some of the principles of, of soul health. Yeah. I think you're actually working on the book right now, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Can you give us a little sneak peek on the big idea of the book? Yeah. Um, the, the real idea of the book is kind of replenished for the everyday Christian. So it's not just written to leaders. 
But as someone now who's learned a lot more about how to live from a healthy soul and someone who has lived six, six decades, it's sort of my, I think, my life message of what I would say to someone who really wants to live the life they long to live. And a lot of it is around strong self-leadership, around really owning and in a godly way, taking responsibility for your life and that you get one shot on this planet. And there's not, you know, a second go round. You get one shot at this thing called life. It is your one and only life and is an incredible gift. And how do you maximize it so that you don't get to the end and have a bunch of regrets? Yes, good. The way we would say, how do you live it? How do you lead in it? And how do you have longevity that that lasts on the idea, right? What a great way to end it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) If people wanted to follow you or connect with you online, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Probably the easiest way is just go to my website, replenish.net. And then, you know, I'm great, James, with people emailing me at lance at replenish.net. That's a simple way for people to connect with me. Um, I, I don't do a lot of social media, but I do have, you know, a Twitter account, Lance underscore wit. Um, so those are the easiest ways to kind of just follow, you know, what I'm doing. But uh, would love to connect with anybody who has interest or questions. Awesome. I'll put all of those links in the show notes so people can connect with you. Lance, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really do appreciate you and I'm so thankful for all that you've done and have been in my life and looking forward to continue the conversation and continue our journey together as friends. Well, thank you, James. That's very mutual. I love you and Lisa and have tremendous respect for you and the way that I've seen both of you kind of grow into the leaders that you are now and how God is using you. So uh, it's an honor just to, to be a friend of yours. I love the idea of preparing for rest, unplugging from the constant connection. We have had to work to make way for this in our own personal lives, James, and it seems to change season to season. It doesn't always look the same. Yeah, that's so true. Even as the kids are grown up, we've had to adjust how our day off or Sabbath actually works. So we've really been intentional, even essentials like haircuts, doctor's appointments, grocery shopping, we try to do on different days than our Sabbath. We do as much as we can to protect and set apart that day each week. And it really comes down to us setting it as a priority and protecting that priority from being hijacked. And it's so easy for it to be hijacked. Absolutely. So I just want to thank Lance again for uh, your wisdom and investment in our listeners and us personally. Such great content, and we're so grateful. Next week is going to be a game changer regarding leading and leaving a legacy. Don and Joy Bray have been and continue to be such an inspiration to us, and we know that they are going to be an inspiration to you also. You are not going to want to miss next week's podcast. No, you will not for sure. So this podcast is still very new. And we would love it if you would help us get the word out by sharing the podcast and telling your friends about it. Also, if you would take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, we would be super grateful. You can also follow us on Instagram at Live Lead Last Podcast. As a reminder, leave us a message and tell us what you personally do to recharge. Remember, the way you live your life and leverage your influence today will determine the legacy you leave tomorrow. So until next week, bye-bye.